Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today on Something You Should Know, do bees really die after they sting you? Can you really die from a black widow spider bite? Then scammers are always trying to get your money, but there are ways to protect yourself. For example, anytime anybody asks you to pay for anything using a prepaid cash card, it's a scam. No legitimate organization or government organization is ever going to ask you to pay for your debts with a cash card. It's just not how it works. Also, why the middle of the summer is the best time to clean your oven. And a lot of little things you can do that will have a very positive effect on your health and longevity, like drinking coffee. So I spoke to a world expert who studies coffee. He said, look, the broad consensus now is that drinking two or three cups of coffee a day is probably a good thing. The thing he did say was that it's best not to drink coffee first thing. All this today on Something You Should Know. A shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You see, for as long as I can remember, I have had to deal with seasonal allergies. Stuffy nose, watery eyes, the whole deal. And the worst for me is it messes up my sleep. I wake up because I can't breathe right. And during the day, well, you know, if I'm working and I'm all stuffed up, then my voice sounds weird, and this is how I make my living. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. I use it, and if you struggle with allergies, you should too. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been using Claritin-D for years because, well, it just, it takes care of the problem. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin-D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin-D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Something you should know. Fascinating intel. The world's top experts. And practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hi. Welcome to Something You Should Know. The other day, I got stung by a bee on my finger. And my finger swelled up to about three times the size. And so I was looking online about bee stings and found some interesting things about other summertime bugs as well that you might be interested in. First of all, I've always heard that if a bee stings you, that the bee will die shortly after that. It's not entirely false. Most species of bees and wasps, however, do not die after they sting someone. The only species that does is the honeybee. When a honeybee stings you, they leave the stinger and part of their abdomen behind, and because of this rupture to their system, they die. You've probably heard that uh, if you get bitten by a black widow spider, you could die. And it is true that black widows are venomous, and their venom can cause muscle cramps, chills, fevers, nausea, all kinds of problems. However, if you seek professional care, it's very unlikely you will die. It has happened, but usually it's to small children or elderly individuals. People think, I assume it's because of the name, that carpenter ants eat wood. But unlike termites, carpenter ants don't eat wood. Instead, they actually tunnel through it, leaving the wood debris behind outside their nests. But they don't eat it. Have you heard that daddy long-leg spiders are poisonous? Well, they're not. They don't harm humans at all. In fact, daddy long-leg spiders are not even considered spiders. Their bodies are shaped much differently, and they only have one pair of eyes. They also don't have any fangs, which would make this poisonous myth even more of a myth. And you've probably heard, maybe it's because of um, 
uh, cartoons. But like, if you wanted to lure a mouse into a mouse trap or something, that you should use cheese. And while mice like cheese, they like other foods a lot better. Things like peanut butter, marshmallows, bacon, gumdrops, raisins, and sugary cereal will lure a mouse better than cheese. And that is something you should know. It's mind-boggling to think how many people are trying to scam you. Of course, scam artists are nothing new, but the internet has certainly made the scam business a lot easier and more lucrative. And the landscape of scams keeps changing. A few years ago, I spoke with Daniel Simons, a psychology professor at the University of Illinois, about this problem. And he is back with a new book and a fresh and up-to-date look at who's trying to scam you and the latest ways they are going about trying to do it. The book is called Nobody's Fool, Why We Get Taken In and What We Can Do About It. Hey, Daniel, welcome back. Thanks for having me on. So I like that you're focusing this time more on not so much the big scams that we hear about, but the the small scams, the things we're actually more likely to fall for because our guard's not up or the scammers are clever enough to make it look legit. And, And so an example of that kind of scam would be what? A simple example that we encounter all the time are phishing emails, right? And sometimes they get filtered out by our spam filters, but... A lot of emails look like they're legitimate and can really easily trick us if we're busy or distracted or focusing too much on what we're trying to do into clicking on something that we really shouldn't. And business email compromise, which is one of the most common sorts of scams around right now, is a a massive and growing problem, billions of dollars involved, that once a scammer gets access to a corporate email system, they can start figuring out how payments are made and they can start requesting personal identifying information from other people for identity theft, or they can start filing invoices and having the money sent to them. Uh, So it's it's a huge source of fraud. And it's one of the reasons why companies are so worried about phishing attempts and trying to prevent them. Well, I would imagine that one of the reasons that people get taken is because they think they're too smart to be taken. Yeah, exactly. I think we all have this tendency to assume that only the most gullible people get taken in. And there are a lot of reasons for that, right? Some people are more gullible than others. Some people are maybe more likely to be deceived than others, but we can all be deceived given the right targeting, right? And I think one thing that is a danger is we can see in retrospect, oh, that con was so obvious. How could they have fallen for that? But in the moment, under time pressure, when it's targeted just at us in in the right ways so that it matches what we're expecting, what we're looking for, what we want. Um, It doesn't raise all those sorts of red flags for us that we all can be taken in. How are we most likely to be taken in? And by that, I mean, like, is it from an email? Is it from somebody knocking on your door? Where are we most at risk and less on guard? You know, I think it it really depends on the context, right? In in a work setting, it might well be emails. And some cons are much more difficult to pull off than others and are more targeted. Uh, Phone calls can be effective. Um, There's a wide variety. So some some of these sorts of scams and targeted targeted deceptions are very targeted. They're really focusing just on you as the the victim, right? They're they're trying to get you, based on what they know about you, to fall for something. So they're appealing to all of your wishes and desires and expectations. Um, Other frauds and scams aren't targeting you in particular. So if you get an email from a Nigerian prince offering you vast riches, if you just pay a little bit up front to help them recover the the money, most people know that that's a scam, right? We've seen it, if you've been on the internet for long enough, you've probably run across it. Um, You probably know it's a scam, so you immediately delete it, which is exactly what the scammer wants. They want the skeptics and the people who know about it to delete that email right away. They don't want you to respond. They want only the people who are most likely to reply and most likely to send their money eventually to be the ones who respond. So that's a fraud that is really common, still rakes in hundreds of millions of dollars a year in various forms, but is not one that's targeting most of us. It's targeting only a tiny subset of people, but it's really cheap to send out millions of emails to hit that small handful that will send their bank accounts. Yeah, see, I think I think what happens when I think about this is, so, so you see the Nigerian prince 
thing, and you go, oh, come on, who's, who's going to be taken by that? So you kind of do this blanket, I'm too smart to be taken, and your guard falls down for everything, because you think, well, I wouldn't, you know, the Nigerian prince isn't going to get my money, so neither will anybody else, because I'm too smart to fall for that. Exactly. And one of the themes that comes up over and over again um, in these sorts of deceptions is that it's not just the most gullible people who get scammed. The people who get fooled are often the most accomplished in their fields, right? So if you look at, say, for example, the, the board of Theranos, the biotech company that folded after it was revealed to be, you know, not able to do what it claimed it could do, the board members were former cabinet secretaries, former generals. These were not dumb people. These are very smart people and world leaders in their disciplines, but they still fell for the, they fell for the pitch, right? And we can all be deceived when, when what's presented is what we're looking for. Yeah, that's so true what you said, because so many of the scams seem obviously scams to me, but may not seem like scams to other people. Like I, I get these emails every once in a while, but fairly frequently, you know, invoices, you know, not demanding yep. payment, but here, you know, here's your invoice for $34,000. And I went, wait, what, what? Yeah, and exactly. So I know that's not for me that I'm not going to pay a $34,000 invoice just because somebody sends it to me, but there must be some people who do pay it. There must be enough people who do to make it worthwhile. And for it to be worthwhile to the scammers, they have to spend all of their time trying to reel in the people who are likely to fall for it. Right. So, but yeah, that's a common thing. So uh, I off, lately, the, a form of text spam is we couldn't deliver your package. Right. And if people are ordering a lot online or having things delivered, especially during the pandemic, um, that looks completely natural. And if you don't look to see that the email didn't come from the postal service or UPS or Amazon or whoever you ordered from, you might click it by mistake. And it's, it's an attempt to fish, right? It's an attempt to you know, take over your computer or to get access to your accounts. I mean, there's so many scams that are just so horrible, horrendous, but, but what's a scam right now of the ones that are out there? What, what's one that you particularly find bothersome? Another one that's really common right now, um, and I think is one of those that counts as especially kind of evil in, in a nasty way, is what's known as the you know, kidnapping or injury scam, where the scammers will find out enough information about you and your family on social media that they'll call up and pretend that your child or grandchild has been in a car accident or has been kidnapped and threaten that unless you send them cash right away, more harm will come. Right. And they sound just credible enough because they know the kid's name, they know where they were, so they've done a little bit of targeting and tracking, and they put you under incredible time pressure and fear in order to try and take money from you. That really is evil. It, it's awful. It, it's preying on you know, the fears and you know, the goodwill of, of people. And those are, you know, those are going to get worse right? because it won't be all that long before you can have spoofing of people's voices. So it might actually sound like the call is coming from that kid. And that makes it even more compelling. Another one that's a big scam, and it's still, it maybe has slowed a little bit, but um, is the uh, call center scam. So a call center scam is, so what they'll do is call people who are immigrants in a country, for example, and say, pretend that they're the government organization for immigration, put them under huge pressure and try and get them to, for example, go out and buy cash cards and read the numbers over the phone to prevent them from being deported. They'll threaten and say that the cops are coming right now. Other variants of this are, you know, you owe taxes and you can get this resolved right away by sending money now. Those call center scams, and I should mention, anytime anybody asks you to pay for anything using a prepaid cash card, it's a scam. No, no legitimate organization or government organization is ever going to ask you to pay for your debts or to pay to preserve your immigration status with, uh, with a cash card. It's just not how it works. And there also will never be that kind of time pressure. The cops are never going to be rushing to your door. But it's a common sort of scam. And it now often works by robocalling first. Right? So you'll, they'll robocall out to millions of numbers and ask you to call back. And anybody who calls back has just selected themselves to be targeted. It's a little like the cars extended, extending your car's warranty. 
call that everybody gets all the time. It's a robocall. Anybody who calls back is most likely to fall for the pitch. Is the extending your car's warranty, we've been trying to get a hold of you, um, mm -hmm. is that always a scam or is there are there actually people extending car warranties? I mean, there might be some legitimate businesses that are trying to extend your car's warranty, but a lot of those are scams. Well, you know, I mean, I have been scammed and fortunately nothing too serious, but I've been scammed. And so I'm very skeptical, maybe too skeptical of anybody who's trying to sell me something or give me something. I'm really skeptical that they're trying to get something from me. Yeah, and I think that that last caveat that you just added, the get something from me or get money from me is the key, right? We can't be skeptical of every interaction we have with everybody else, right? That That's an impossible way to live. We could never have a conversation because we have to assume that for the most part, everybody we're talking to is trying to be truthful, is interacting with us naturally. And most of the people we interact with day to day aren't scammers, right? They're not, they're not trying to get us. Um, so going through life, assuming that everybody is out to get you isn't necessarily the most sane way of living. But thinking about whenever you're in a position where you're being asked to spend money or to um, provide information, those are times when we need to be extra careful. And um, I like to think of the way scamming works as a bit of, a little bit like sort of a bullfighter, right? So, you know, a bullfighter or a matador will hold up that red cape. And the idea of the red cape is it's something that's really enticing to that bull. So if you're the potential mark, they're going to make something look really enticing to you so that you charge in without thinking and taking that second step to just say, okay, is this real? Is this legitimate? Is there something I should be asking myself here? Um, they want to make it so enticing that you just charge straight in. And the key is to figure out what are those cues that we used to find something really enticing? What are the sort of tendencies we have that make us act as efficiently as possible and not necessarily stop and ask ourselves, is that really true? Is that legitimate? I'm speaking with Daniel Simons, and we're talking about scams and how not to get taken. Daniel is the author of a book called Nobody's Fool, Why We Get Taken In and What We Can Do About It. If you have to hire someone, what's the best way? Referrals? Well, maybe that could work. But just because somebody knows somebody who knows you doesn't necessarily mean they're qualified. Or you could pull out that file of random resumes that came in during the last six months. Maybe there's somebody in there. Maybe. Now, I, if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. As a business owner, I've found that hiring the right people, well, there's just nothing more important. Don't leave it to chance or a referral or a random resume. Use Indeed. In the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com something. Just go to Indeed.com slash something right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on something you should know. Indeed.com slash something. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? Oh, you need Indeed. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So Daniel, when you analyze the scams that people pull on other people. What are some of the things that seem the tactics, strategies that seem very effective? We often are fooled when people give us really precise information, right? And that's mostly good because generally if somebody can give you really precise details, that means they understand things really well, right? If you can make a really precise forecast to say it's going to rain at 2.30 PM this afternoon, that's more useful than rain, say it might rain today, but 
those looking to fool us will often use pseudo precision. They'll make things sound like they're really precise and count on us to draw the inference that they actually understand what they're talking about. So there's a common statement that, uh, you know, 13.5% of your customers are early adopters of new technology. Where did that number come from? It's actually not based on any sort of data at all. If you look carefully at what they're talking about, it's, it's just based on assumptions. But because somebody says 13.5, you take that as meaning they actually know something in depth. There's always been that advice that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And that, that does seem to be pretty good advice. I mean, when the Nigerian prince singles you out to give you all this money, yeah, maybe that's a little too good to be true. Exactly. And, and it is great advice. The problem is figuring out what's too good and what's not. Right? So what's too good for, for you or me, that Nigerian email promising hundreds of millions of dollars if you just help them out a little bit to recover their lost fortune, um, that sounds too good to be true because it's like this outrageous amount of return on no investment. And most of us know to watch out for anything that guarantees huge returns from a tiny risk or no risk at all. But the more sophisticated the con, the more likely it is that you're going to find it to be just good enough rather than too good. So here's an example, right? The classic Ponzi scheme, right? Where people pay in and then the people who get in early get their get money out only because new investors are coming in and the new investment money is just being returned to the original investors. So it's a pyramid scheme format where there's never actually any real investment going on. The original Ponzi schemes promised outlandish returns, guaranteed 50% returns in six months, right? With no risk. And anybody who's ever invested knows that's not possible, right? Anytime somebody promises you massive returns and no risk, you know it's too good to be true because every investment, the bigger the returns, probably the greater the risk, right? And so we all know that Ponzi scheme and investments are, are too good to be true. But what about Bernie Madoff, right? Bernie Madoff was a Ponzi scheme. He ran a Ponzi scheme, but he didn't promise outlandish returns. In fact, his returns under of, the, of his fraudulent investment fund underperformed the stock market over the time he was running his fraud. It did worse overall. Um, what, he, what was appealing about Madoff's investments wasn't the outlandish returns. It was the consistently stable returns with no risks. So he pretty much every year returned eight to 12% with never a down year and almost never a down month. So it was safe and that's what appealed to more knowledgeable investors than would fall for a typical Ponzi scheme. So really it's, it's a question of what sounds too good to be true will vary based on your knowledge and your experience. And something that sounds way too good to be true for a really sophisticated investor. And there were people who walked away from Madoff because they said, nah, that can't be right. But was good enough for a lot of investors to lose all their money. You know, what's also interesting too is that we tend to have sympathy for people, uh, you know, who are victims of other crimes. But, but when you get scammed, there's this sense of, you know, it was your greed that, that was at fault here. If you weren't so greedy, you would have never been scammed. And we, we don't have the sympathy for them as we might have for some other crime victim. Yeah, and that, that does make it really hard, right? That there's always this error when you know it was a con in retrospect to say, oh, you should have known better or I should have known better. And many people who are scammed will say, oh, I should have known better. I shouldn't have fallen for that. I, I, I was suspicious, but I went ahead anyway. It's also why a lot of fraud is probably not reported because once people realize they've been taken, they're embarrassed because they think, oh, well, I should have seen that. It was, seems obvious in retrospect. And that's, of course, exactly what scammers count on. They count on you to be highly efficient in the moment and not to question until later. And that's, that's how a lot of these sorts of scams work. They put time pressure and uh, commitment pressure on you right away so that you don't have time to think and question and be skeptical about it. Do you think people's antenna are up for this or that they just, they, they don't fall for scams because they just, I don't know, they just think, you know, th this isn't my invoice. I'm not going to pay that. I, I, no, I, I, the Nigerian prince, come on, I, I've heard about that. 
I mean, are people really mm-hmm. paying attention to this or, or they're just kind of maneuvering between the obstacles here? It's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of us aren't paying attention enough of the time. And that's why phishing email scams work so effectively. Um, a lot of people, you know, there've been a couple of massive field studies that have looked at whether or not people will uh, respond to phishing attempts. And if it looks legitimate enough, a high percentage of people will not only respond, but will give their password and account information or their, their user information. Um, and that's because we, we get tons of emails all the time. So if you're in any organization, you're constantly getting official sounding emails, many of which are kind of empty of content, but are asking you to do minor things or to check things. And we just tend to dismiss those without looking at them very, very carefully. Of course, all of these scams know what our routine emails look like. They know what our routine habits are, and they capitalize on that. So even if people are looking out for it, you can still get fooled even if you're looking out for it. Um, here, here's one example where I got fooled. Um, and fortunately, I realized it almost immediately. Um, so over the years, I, I've done a lot of media stuff. So I've been on television quite a bit, and I've got a bunch of videos that have me in them that sometimes end up all over social media. So. I got a message from a friend on, on Facebook that said, hey, I saw you in this video and gave a link. Right? And that's a common thing that I have happen. I'll have somebody email me or send a message saying, hey, I saw you on this video. And I didn't think about it for a second and I clicked the link, which I should never have done. Right? So it was, it was somebody whose account had been hacked and the link was almost certainly going to be trying to hack my account. And I realized it immediately and changed my passwords and it was okay. But um, whenever you get that sort of a link, you should always reach out to the person directly, not via the message that you got, and, and check on it. In the same way that if uh, your credit card company calls, you should just call back on the number on the back of your card and not trust the caller ID on your phone to be who they say they are. Um, that sort of scam is, is really common. Most people would never have fallen for that, I saw you in a video scam. It's intended to catch people thinking, oh, I've done something embarrassing on video and I should know about this. Um, but that's a small percentage of people. And it's probably a smaller percentage of people who happen to be on video on in the mass media fairly often. So I just happened to fall for it because it sounded like the kinds of messages I've sometimes gotten. And most people would never fall for that one because it's, it's kind of obvious. It was only obvious to me a few minutes later and said, oh, I shouldn't have fallen for that. And that was while I was working on researching scams and cons. Well, there you go. I mean, if anybody should be bulletproof to this, it would be you researching the topic and, and you fell for one. So it, clearly we, we all have to be on our guard. Daniel Simons has been my guest. He is a psychology professor at the University of Illinois. And his book is called Nobody's Fool, Why We Get Taken In and What We Can Do About It. And there's a link to his book in the show notes. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me on. It was a fun conversation. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. As a listener to Something You Should Know, I can only assume that you are someone who likes to learn about new and interesting things and bring more knowledge to work for you in your everyday life. I mean, that's kind of what Something You Should Know was all about. And so I want to invite you to listen to another podcast called TED Talks Daily. Now, you know about TED Talks, right? Many of the guests on Something You Should Know have done TED Talks. Well, you see, TED Talks Daily is a podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday in less than 15 minutes. Join host Elise Hugh. She goes beyond the headlines so you can hear about the big ideas shaping our future. Learn about things like sustainable fashion, embracing your entrepreneurial spirit, the future of robotics, and so much more. Like I said, if you like this podcast, something you should know, I'm pretty sure you're going to like TED Talks Daily. And you get TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. 
When people think about being healthy, living a healthier life, it can all sound a bit daunting. After all, I think most of us can probably think of several things we do or don't do that are not so healthy that we could do differently. However, there are actually a lot of little things that don't require overhauling your entire life that can have real substantial health benefits. That concept is the basis of a popular BBC podcast and book, both titled Just One Thing, How Simple Changes Can Transform Your Life. The host of the podcast and author of the book is Dr. Michael Mosley. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Something You Should Know. Brilliant to be with you. So briefly explain the concept here, and then we can dive into some specific things people can start doing. But what's your, what's your premise here? The overall message is there are some simple things you can do in your life which will have a big effect on your mental and physical health. They're not that demanding. They are science-based, and why not give it a go? And the other thing I would say is that what we know about habits is if you are likely, if you if they're going to stick, then you have to go on sort of, you know, repeating them on a fairly regular basis um, for at least a month or so. So these things that I'm going to recommend and we're going to talk about are really quite simple to do. But the great thing about them is they also have stickability, I hope. Yeah, well, because that's the key, right? You can't you can't do one of these once and expect much to happen. No, not at all. Um, what you might do is you might do it a few times and decide this one's not for me and you move on to something else. But yeah, what I do ask you is persistence. Um, stick to it. Give it a go. Um, you should see within a relatively short period of time um, some benefit. Hopefully you'll enjoy them as well. So kick it off with one of them, one that you like or one that one that's easy to explain and just start with one. Let's dive in somewhere. Absolutely. So why not singing? The great thing about singing is you don't have to be any good. You've just got to be enthusiastic. It's um, There's a lot of science behind singing. I tend to do it in the shower uh, because it resonates well there. Um, I'm not sure my wife is keen, but a while ago I took part in a research project where we measured uh, blood levels of something called endocannabinoids. These are cannabis-like substances that are produced in the blood when you're doing certain things like exercising, but it also turns out when you're singing. And what they do is they give you a real boost. So what we did is um, I got a group of people together. I was part of it. Um, we sang for half an hour. We exercised for half an hour. And we read a manual on how to repair dishwashers for half an hour. And the idea of that was the control group. And what we found is that the singing gave the biggest boost to the endocannabinoids. And that's probably why people sort of really enjoy it. And those the chemicals that you just mentioned do what exactly? They're sort of cannabis-like substances. And what they do is they kind of give you a feel-good. They make you feel good. So for a long time, people have said that exercise leads to endorphins. Now they think it's actually much more to do with these endocannabinoids. So uh, these substances, as I said, they go to the brain, they make you feel good, and it turns out that singing um, is a very good way of releasing them, particularly if you're singing with other people. Uh, but when you just sing solo, uh, then that also releases these substances. So it's a quick and easy way to make yourself feel good. So talk about deep breaths, because I think everybody's heard and have has been it's been suggested, you know, t oh, take a deep breath, just take a deep breath. Well, why? What's the what's the point? Sure. So the idea here is that you actually slow your breathing. So one of the forms of breathing that I strongly recommend to people is called four two four. And here you breathe in through your nose to a count of four. You hold it for two and then you breathe out through your mouth to a count of four. If we do it just now, let's give it a go. Hold it and then. And if you do that um, for about a minute or so, what happens is your heart rate slows down. You're actually switching on uh, part of your system, uh, which is called the parasympathetic system. And it's kind of like the break. So your adrenaline is the sympathetic system that makes you go rev, 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 whereas this kind of calms everything down. So when you do this form of slow, deep breathing, that slows your heart rate, it brings your blood pressure down, but it also induces this feeling of calm. So if you do it, you know, when you're feeling a bit stressed, brilliant. Also, middle of the night, I typically wake up at about three in the morning, lots of thoughts racing through my mind. 
And when I do this 424 breathing, then, then that just slows everything down. The heart rate drops, and that is a sort of trigger for going back to sleep. It's um, brilliantly effective, really quite life-changing. You know, I do that too. I wake up I wake up at four in the morning and do what you do at three, but it's the same thing, yeah, that your mind, your mind just pops awake and all of a sudden things start just pouring through it. Absolutely. It's really, really annoying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and frightening sometimes. Like, I was just asleep and now I'm thinking about everything. Absolutely. So one of the techniques, I don't know whether you do it as well, is that if within about five or six minutes, maybe 10 minutes, I haven't gone back to sleep and the breathing isn't doing it, then I get out of bed. I go and find a quiet corner. I continue doing the slow breathing. I read a dull book. I listen to some music until I start to feel sleepy again. And then I go back to bed. So uh, otherwise, you can just lie in bed, feeling restless, worrying about stuff. And that's the worst thing you can do. Because what you need to do um, is associate bed with sleep and sex and nothing else. So uh, that's one of the top tips I learned from sleep experts. Uh, It's all about associating your bed with calm, with peace, not with stimulation. And so, as I said, if you're lying there thinking all sorts of crazy thoughts at three or four in the morning, then uh, just get out of bed. Um, find a retreat, come back. What do you mean by think yourself stronger? How does that work? Sure. So this is a slightly stranger one. uh, But the idea here, and there's been a surprising number of studies looking into it, is that you sort of almost rehearse doing something. So, for example, a lot of um, athletes, they rehearse, you know, not only they not only physically rehearse going out of the block, but they mentally rehearse it. And you see sometimes tennis players, they're sort of mentally rehearsing where they're going to hit the ball. And it turns out that when you do that, then what that does is it encourages muscle cells, if you like, to become more active. And it's a good way of uh, uh, of really just kind of preparing yourself mentally and also physically for whatever it is you're about to do, whether it is trying to score a goal or whatever it might be. So it's been a big part of uh, the you know psychology and the physiology of sport exercises, and but it's that sense of kind of getting your brain ready uh, for whatever it is you're about to do, and that will prepare your body. Because one of the things I don't know if you're aware of it, but you you know your brain is protecting you quite often from really pushing yourself too hard. And it puts on this sort of break. And sometimes you're actually quite capable of going a bit further, a bit longer. And uh, mentally rehearsing seems to help that. So this whole idea of exercise, I think, baffles people because you have some ideas on on how to do simple exercise. But I think there's this perception that Exercise has to be long, it has to be hard, and it has to go on for a long, long time over months and months and months before you will, before much happens. Absolutely. And I think that is a myth. Um, I have um, been making films and documentaries about exercise for a while now. I'm not personally a huge fan of exercise in the sense I don't love running. I do it because I think it's good for me, but I don't love it. What I do like doing first thing in the morning is I do what's called intelligent exercises. I do them with my wife and I do them first thing because I know if I don't do them then, I'm never going to do them. And these are really the um, the squat and the press-up, or do you call them push-ups or press-ups? Push-ups. Okay, so these are the push-ups and the squat. And um, they're a really good way of doing resistance exercise. You can, you know, just do 5, 10, 20, 30, build up slowly. Don't take very long. Um, I spend less than three or four minutes doing them in the morning. But they're a great way of building muscle. But beyond that, there's been research which shows that the sort of upward and downward movement you do when you're doing a squat is a really great way of increasing blood flow to the brain And that, in turn, triggers the release in the brain of a substance called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And that seems to be kind of really like a fertilizer for the brain. It helps to support existing brain cells and encourage the growth of new ones. So by doing these um, simple exercises, the press-up and the squat, you're not only building muscle, which is obviously a good thing, but you're also, um, you know, boosting the release of this hormone in the brain, which is also good for the brain. So two for one, and it only takes a few minutes um, first thing in the morning. But you don't have to do very many of them um, in order to get benefit. 
So you talk about drinking water, and this is another one of those things where people, there's conflicting advice that you have to drink, you know, just tons of water, and then people say, well, no, but the water in the food counts too, and then, and so people don't know, like, how much water, and what's, what's the benefit? So the simplest advice I have is try to drink a large glass of water with every meal. So with breakfast, with lunch, and with your evening meal. That is quite a simple thing to remember to do. And you can have it fizzy, you can have it with ice, you can have it with lemon, it doesn't really matter. Um, Personally, I like tap water, I'm quite happy with that. Some people, you know, uh, want expensive bottled waters. But the reason you want to do it, particularly when you get older, is that our sort of, our thirst is not a terribly reliable test of whether we are hydrated or not. That actually, the reason you want to drink water is obviously to rehydrate you. Also, if you have it with a meal, uh, there's evidence that it kind of fills you up so you eat less. Um, But it's also really important for the brain that you remain properly hydrated. And there have been lots of studies which have shown that when even a sort of 5% dehydration, you perform worse physically and mentally. So simple thing, glass of water with every meal. And the other thing I'd say is one way of telling if you're properly hydrated or not is, you know, you look at the color of your urine. So it should be a sort of pale straw-like color. One of your recommendations is to take an early morning walk. And, you know, I think most people know that walking is, you know, that's good exercise. But why an early morning walk? Well, I think the benefit of doing it first thing in the morning is uh, multiple. So one of the things is that when you go outside in the morning light, then the amount of light that your eyes, your brain, if you like, are exposed to is multiple times greater than indoors. We don't really appreciate it because our eyes are very good at adjusting, but it can be 10 times as bright outdoors as indoors. So one of the reasons you want to go out first thing in the morning is it's a great way of resetting your internal clock that uh, your circadian rhythms, they're driven mainly by light. So when you go out first thing, that will actually sort of reset everything so you'll sleep better that night. When you go out, if you can go out in green spaces, that is a particularly good thing because we know there are lots of benefits to be to spending time in nature. And indeed, we know that if you can, you know, beside, I have a wood near me and I like going for a walk through the woods. And we know the trees produce these scents, which are good for your immune system. And then when you're walking, try to make it brisk. Um, I say you should aim for around 100 um, steps a minute if you can. Um, You know, if you can't, fine. But something like that is 100 steps a minute. And one good way to do that is you put some headphones on with a bit of music, which has a beat of uh, around 100 and, you know, pace yourself like that. My, I often go for a walk with my wife. She loves walking fast, so she kind of speeds me up. So if you can go for a walk with other people, that's great. But simply walking is a remarkably good way of, as I said, resetting that internal clock, setting you up for the day, and you get some exercise as well. It's not going to, you know, it's not as good, if you like, as going for a cycle or a run or something where you get a sweat, but it's certainly a great deal better than, um, you know, sitting on your bottom. Right, because we hear sitting is the new smoking. Absolutely. And we know from multiple studies uh, that sitting around, which obviously we do because we have computers, a lot of our lives are tied to laptops, um, to our smartphones or whatever. We know that spending um, a long periods of time uh, sitting is really bad for your blood pressure, very bad for your blood sugar levels and things like that. So another advantage of drinking all that water uh, is you'll make um, more trips uh, to the toilet. So (laughs) there's another plus in that, you know, that you'll at least get up and uh, go for a short walk then. And if you can uh, fit in a few squats or a few press-ups after you've been to loo, that's a good idea as well. So one of the things I tell people is try to anchor a new habit, something you're already doing. One of the odd ones in here that I thought was interesting was stand on one leg. Like, how much good could that possibly do? No, I agree. When I first came across it, I was somewhat surprised. But it turns out that falling over is the second commonest cause of accidental death worldwide after road traffic accidents. And the thing about 
um, you know, exercise is we know about the push-up and we know about the benefits of things like going for a run, aerobic fitness, resistance exercise, but not many people consider their balance. And balance is really, really important, particularly when you get older. And there is some evidence because we spend so much time on our bottoms these days that our sense of balance is getting worse. Um, ideally, you should be able to manage about 30 seconds while standing on one leg. Um, and you'll also find if you try it, if you close your eyes, you're probably only going to manage about 10 seconds. Uh, but 30 seconds is a good goal to aim at. So what I suggest to people is they could do Tai Chi, they could try yoga, or they could simply do what I do, which is um, try doing it while you're brushing your teeth in the morning. So you're supposed to brush your teeth for two minutes. So what I do is I stand on one leg for 30 seconds. I then stand on the other leg for 30 seconds and then back again. And so in two minutes, I get a good sort of, you know, my teeth are nice and sparkly clean at the end of that, but I'm also getting a good, you know, workout in terms of my balance. So talk about coffee because, you know, it's been back and forth over the years. It's good for you. It's bad for you. A little's okay. Too much is too much. What's the latest and how do we know this is true? Okay, absolutely. So I spoke to a kind of uh, world expert who studies coffee and he said, look, the broad consensus now is that for most people, uh, drinking two or three cups of coffee a day is probably a good thing. The, the caffeine seems to be, you know, it gets you going, uh, but also there is quite a lot of evidence that drinking coffee also improves things like mood. Um, the thing he did say, which slightly surprised me, was that it's best not to drink coffee first thing. You ought to wait for about an hour at least until you are eating your breakfast. He said the reason for that is because um, when you first wake up, your body is producing lots of cortisol, the stress hormone. It's called the car response, the cortisol arousal response. And that's basically to get your body going. And it starts about an hour or so before you wake up and it sort of peaks around the time you wake up. So if you pour coffee straight on top of what is already a big surge in your stress hormones, uh, then the risk is that you'll just, you know, feel a bit stressy. It'll raise your blood pressure and things like that. Better basically to wait until the cortisol levels start to drop, which is about an hour after you wake up. And then that will give you the sort of benefits of the caffeine hit, but without pushing you over the top. And this guy had also done studies showing that um, if you drink the coffee before breakfast, then that leads to a big surge in your blood sugar levels. Whereas if you have it with breakfast, you don't get that effect. Uh, one, one or two more here. One we haven't talked about that you think is either surprising or that, that people find most interesting. I think that um, eccentric exercise is a great sort of a slightly weird one. Uh, that you would imagine, for example, uh, that when you walk up a set of stairs, then that uh, is you know harder work and therefore more beneficial than walking down a set of stairs. But it turns out that's not the case. I mean, a lot of people have experienced the thing: you you walk up a hill, a mountain, and then when you go down again, it feels much much harder, and you assume that's because you've had to walk up. But actually, it turns out, and somebody actually did a study where they got people to either walk up six flights of stairs or down, and they did that for several weeks. It was the people going down who got the most benefit, both in terms of modest weight loss, but also in terms of impact on the bones and in terms of the sort of calories burnt. And that's because your body is sort of protecting you. Um, when you're going down. So uh, if you're going to, you know, use the stairs, make sure you go up and down. And the same is true, you know, if you decide to follow my advice and do a few press-ups and squats, really slow the downward movement. But that's that's what's called the eccentric phase. And, uh, and that is kind of where most of the benefit is going to come from. Lastly, I think everybody's heard the advice of you need to take a break, that you need to take more breaks throughout the day. But what, why? What's the science say about that? So the science here is um, pretty unambiguous, again, that um, we do better if we have these break moments. The studies have shown that it improves productivity. It also improves concentration. And so ideally, it's kind of every 45 minutes or so, you get up, you wander around for maybe a minute or two, and then you go back. 
If you do that, you're doing two things. One, it gives your brain a bit of a rest um, and allows you to refocus, but also you're getting the benefits of not um, sitting continuously, which are very, very bad for us. So I find that quite difficult to do because when I get obsessed with something, when I'm focused, when I'm writing something, I find it quite difficult to break away. Uh, but since I started exploring the science behind this, I found it very beneficial. So I set my alarm and I do get up and I wander around. Uh, there's also uh, something, a sort of try and rest your eyes every so often. If you're focused on the screen, you've got yourself hunched over it, then look away, defocus, look at an object which is far off. It just gives your eyes a bit of a rest. So yeah, give yourself a break every so often and your body will really thank you for it. Well, this is not only fun. I mean, I think it's empowering to hear that there are so many little things that people can do that add up over time to, to really make a difference in your health. I've been speaking with Dr. Michael Mosley. He is host of the popular podcast called Just One Thing and author of the book, Just One Thing, How Simple Changes Can Transform Your Life. And there's a link to the podcast and to the book in the show notes for this episode. Appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Thank you very much. Bye. If you're not doing anything and you haven't cleaned your oven lately, you might want to do that soon. According to the Appliance Handbook for Women, simple enough even men can understand, says people often make the mistake of cleaning their oven right before Thanksgiving or some other big event. Ovens are most likely to fail during or right after that self-cleaning cycle because of the very high temperatures involved. It's not easy getting an oven fixed around the holidays or on a weekend when repair shops and part distributors are busy or closed. Weekdays in the summer are probably the best time to clean your oven, because if something goes wrong, you can always fire up the grill. And that is something you should know. I bet you know somebody who would enjoy this episode as much as you did, so you'd be doing them a favor, you'd be doing us a favor, if you would just tell them about this show and send them the link and tell them to listen. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.